Welcome to Green Eagle Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers are now 6-2 and two after falling for the second consecutive week at the Carolina Panthers this time around, 37-29 to 29 in a game that is not best reflected by the score. There was a lot going on and much to be taken from this game. And Matt, I posed a question to you via text yesterday about what does this mean going forward and what are we supposed to think about this team um, after yesterday's game? And then we decided we would save those opinions and uh, keep them from one another until this podcast. I'm dying to know what you think about this one because I'm not sure I know my answer yet. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, I agree. I'm not even sure I know exactly where I sit on this, but I, I tell you for sure and Maybe you feel completely differently than I do. I feel a lot better after the game was over and kind of at least seeing some fight in this team. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather go out losing with Rodgers having 369 for yards and four touchdowns and a pick rather than 77 yards. Yeah. And although the defense is horrible and it looks like it's probably going to be the rest of the year, you know, at least you get the offense rolling against a pretty good defense. You saw some positives and you at least saw him just try to open, open it up a little bit, give the receivers a shot and, Still, still getting hit around at the end and holding the ball forever, but at least you saw some positives. So mm-hmm. I guess as, for as bad as it was, you, you came back, you fought, and I, I feel a little bit better. Yeah, and I don't, I guess. I don't feel a whole lot worse than I did against Denver, but it kind of confirmed my worst fears that I had coming out of the Denver game. I hear a lot of talk and see a lot of posts about, we're 6-2. and two. Hey, don't worry about it, we're 6-2. and two. And to me, it feels a little bit like Brewer fans in 2014 at the end of August saying, hey, we're still in first place. And then in the first week of September saying, hey, we still got a wild card spot. When you're actually watching the games, you realize they can't get anybody out and they can't get on base. And all you have going for you is that you've got those games in the bank and you can't possibly lose it all. And I don't think there's a risk that this team doesn't make the playoffs or anything like that. There's too many beatable teams left on the schedule. But I guess I'm coming to the point where I don't believe that this team is a Super Bowl caliber team. And I think that that first six game streak was a bit of a mirage. I said this on Twitter and I stand by it. I like the fight too and I like the fire and I love the accountability of this team. I don't think will is their problem. I think skill is. And Skill is not something you can fix in the middle of the season. You can't want it bad enough to beat man-to-man coverage and to be a better run defense. That's just something that's not going to happen. I think they have the minds. I don't know if they have the bodies. Yeah, and you know, I I agree with most of what you said, and I think I've been kind of clear that I sort of feel like that's what this team is at this point, and yeah. I'm not really sure they're a Super Bowl contender, to, I guess, to begin with going into that game, so I guess it wasn't like a, an awakening for me of, of any sorts, but I think the positive thing here is you look at that, you know, you're in a conference where you don't have Seattle and San Francisco, at least right now you don't have Seattle to deal with, they're not at the top of their division, you just played in presumably what is the best team in the entire conference, and you, you hung in there, and although that... You know, they looked better than you. I, I think if you saw them again, you'd have a pretty good shot. And I'm really not scared of anybody else in, in the entire conference, really. I mean, what, Atlanta, Philly? Yeah. I mean, who do you got? So 
really, although I feel like there's a ton of holes in this team, you still might be good enough to be the best team in the conference. And I, I really wouldn't like a potential Super Bowl matchup against a team like New England that has two weeks to scheme for you. I think they'd be in big trouble there. But yeah. Uh, at least in terms of the NFC, I mean, they, they're capable of beating anybody still. So although this was a kind of a frightening thing to see where you have really three weeks in a row of the same garbage on defense and some weird problems with Rodgers, but it, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm not feeling it's a lost cause yet, but it, it, they kind of are who we thought they were. Yeah, and I am not meaning to make it sound like I think it's a lost cause yet either, but it's... I have new expectations for what I think is going to happen the rest of this season. And maybe it took me longer to get to this point because I wanted to believe it or whatnot. But you called it a few weeks ago that this feels like a team that loses in the divisional round, and I'm there now. I wasn't there yet last week, and I certainly wasn't after the Chargers game or anything like that, but I'm definitely there now. And yes, they can compete with anybody in the NFC, potentially, but it's a bit like being in the Big Ten West you know, good job, Wisconsin. You win the Big Ten West. You want to play Michigan State or Ohio State? You know, it, none, none of those matchups are very good. And maybe they could beat Carolina in a rematch. But who are you going to play? New England, Denver, even Cincinnati. I don't, I don't like their odds in any of those. And you got to be willing to take that risk and potentially lose a Super Bowl, and that would do a lot for this team. But yeah, I, I don't have a lot of confidence going forward. And I want to get more in-depth into this because I have a feeling coming out of this game it's going to be very much like we see from this Packer team whenever they have a game like this where they're going to look at it and say we lost by one score and we turned it over on the one-yard line and so we're right there with Carolina. And if you actually watch that game, they got destroyed for most of the game. And Aaron Rodgers had a nice bounce-back game, but I went in-depth into that. And here is the breakdown of his statistics. So he was 25 of 48, 369 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception for a 96.6 quarterback rating, which is very good. When they were getting their clocks cleaned, he had 14 of 27 for 207 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. That's actually a 102 quarterback rating. And in the end of the game, so this is where I broke it down. So starting from when Carolina got up 37 to 14, until they got to within one score, so the next two drives, Aaron Rodgers was 9 of 14 for 161 yards and two touchdowns. That's 143 quarterback rating on those two drives that got them from 37 to 14 to 37-29. On that final drive, 1 of 6, 8 yards, and an interception. And so there's two potential explanations for this. One is that Aaron Rodgers choked. And it's not out of the realm of possibility because we've seen games like this game reminded me so much of the 09 wildcard game where they couldn't do anything. And then once everything was in the balance, they couldn't be stopped. And then once they got tied, Aaron Rodgers had Greg Jennings as wide open as he's ever been. And he gave him a Joey Harrington rocket ball and then fumbled the next play. I don't believe that's the case. I'm saying that he struggled until Carolina thought they had the game in the bag and played defense. Then he tore them apart. And then when they went back to their base defense, he struggled again. So I think this recovery of the offense is a total mirage. It was all game situations. When he had to play Carolina's base stuff that they game planned for before and after the rally, they shut him down and they couldn't do anything. Well, right. And it was really frightening to see them come out like that, um, Again, this game after that just happened against Denver. It's like, how do you come out and play the exact same way? Yeah. It's, you know, they had to have talked about it. They had to have been hearing about it all week. You know, Rogers throws for 77 yards, not taking any chances. And, and I, I, I will mostly agree with you with that. 
I, I hate that they came out like that again. Rodgers holding the ball forever. And even when they played well, he was still doing that. He was just kind of finding some guys. Yeah. But during those two drives, it seemed like he was actually giving some guys a chance, like that James Jones catch on fourth down. Uh, I know you kind of have to because it's fourth down, but they were actually he was actually making some contested throws and hitting them mm-hmm. and giving his receivers a chance. Where it seems like the the week and a half before that, he wasn't willing to do that at all, and he was going to hold the ball until somebody was wide open. But he so wasn't I, willing to do that once the game was within one score because yeah. Yeah, he. That's if you heard him describe that final play, he basically out psyched himself that Randall Cobb couldn't beat Peanut Tillman, and that's why he didn't throw it there right away, even though the play called for it. It's like if that play would have come when they were down two scores, he would have thrown it to Cobb without even thinking about it. And I think that yesterday what you saw is this team in a nutshell. Mike McCarthy again punting with 11 minutes left down 30 to 14 with a fourth down at basically midfield. Then when they're down 37 to 22 with eight minutes left, he has Crosby kick it deep. And then the thing for Rodgers, we know he holds it forever. He got sacked three times on third down again. He got his 12-man on the field penalty and then eats a sack. Yeah. It's like, what does it take for these guys to take some freaking risks? You were getting your brains beat in, and you waited until the last possible moment when you had to be perfect to actually win, and what's maddening is they almost did it. You wonder what would have happened if they had that sense of urgency at the start of the fourth quarter instead of with 10 minutes left. Yeah, that, that punt again was just was so strange and just so super conservative. But yeah, they had too many men on the field to take a sack there. Just who cares throw it up in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the field like there's absolutely no way you can take that sack and you would think of anybody he would know better than that I mean, yeah. he's usually pretty good about it but for some reason in that situation just felt like eating it. it it's it's so frustrating to watch an offense run like that that even when it's successful so far this year he's it's been the same thing he's just finding a way to get out of it and make somebody miss and make a throw mm-hmm. and he just all of a sudden feels like he can do that every time because that's where some of his biggest plays have come from mm-hmm. but that's not an efficient way to be a quarterback <laughs> Well, and what's getting reinforced is that all of that conservatism almost led them to win. And so maybe, very well could be possible that I'm completely wrong about this, but you lost the NFC Championship game this way, and now you lost yesterday this way, and you got your brains beat in by Denver this way. The thing that I came away, if we're going to go, we're going to go more in depth into a lot of this stuff, but if we're going to talk about a grand point to all this is that this is why I'm starting to feel so down about this team today is that I let myself believe that the first 55 minutes of the NFC Championship game was the real Packers, and the real Packers was the last five minutes in overtime. Going into that game, we thought they were going to get smoked by Seattle and that they couldn't compete with these kind of teams and they couldn't compete with a team that was aggressive and could hit them in the mouth. And that they almost did it made us all forget that they still hadn't done it yet. And now it's back to that point where... No, they lost because that's who they are. Because <laughs> they lose those kind of games, and they played the game of their life, and you have guys like Ha Ha Clinton Dix getting two interceptions when it's clear he's not very good right now. And a lot of that kind of stuff, I guess I allowed myself to believe that those Packers that almost, those gritty Packers that almost won in Seattle was the real Packers when they set themselves to it. And the truth is that those were the Packers hyped up, believing they had nothing to lose, when the other Packers... The true Packers, the ones that play to their true nature, are ones that play the percentages and often lose to great opponents because of it. Yeah, it's so weird how two-faced this team could be. I mean, look before that, I mean, they there's, they probably should have even bet in that Seattle game because they should have lost to Dallas if it weren't for a fluky call. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you just see these flashes of brilliance, 
and we've seen them throughout the years, and you just know what this team can be, but more often than not, probably two-thirds of the time, I mean, this is kind of what we see. They just beat the crap out of terrible teams and then have games like this when it matters, and it's it's frustrating to know what they can do and to see it so rarely. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's. I mean, the season isn't over, but how does this season look any different than 2012 or something like that right now? I mean, it's a team that's better than most, but it's not good enough to beat three lead opponents in a row and win a championship. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, just relax, though. Just R-E-L-A-X here. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I forgot. I'm, we're not allowed to criticize this team. Cause <laughs> I, I must be a bad fan because I'm not relaxing right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it, it's they're, they're capable of still winning a championship this year, and that could even still happen after two terrible games. It happened in 96. It happened in 2010. So you never know what can happen. They're good enough to do it. It's just like yeah. I, I just don't see how this team gets much better. You're not gaining anybody back. You're limited offensively for the rest of the year. Your secondary looks kind of suspect. And mm-hmm. it just the whole thing is like, man, I don't know how you do it. Well, that's what irritates me. Like you just said in 2010 and in 1996 when they had back-to-back losses and stuff like that. But this doesn't feel like any of those years. I mean, the, the 2010 team never trailed by seven the whole season. The 1996 teams was obliterating people until they lost all of their receivers. And to me, this is more like 1998 when they had a devastating playoff loss the year before. They came in thinking that, okay, we're going to redeem ourselves this year. They started the season. They blew out four iffy opponents. And then they played Minnesota, who was a good team, and just, who destroyed them on Monday Night Football. And then they got whooped by the, the Lions and were never able to get their mojo back in the, the rest of the year, finished 11-5, and five and were out in the first round. This team feels like that 98 team, who thinks they're a champion, who has championship guys on the team, but all year they're searching for answers and they never find it. It feels a lot like that right now. Sure, sure. And and maybe we'll talk more about this too here, but one thing, and I texted you before the game when the announcers were kind of hyping up the game and everything, they were talking about all the things the Packers had talked about during the week and Randall Cobb and how he was fired up because he hasn't been playing well and he's putting it on his own shoulders here to do it. And I'm like, oh, they got this game. I, I'm, I know they're gonna win. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the game started, like you didn't see any of that. And mm-hmm. Cobb had a terrible start, and it wasn't until the game was out of hand that he did anything at all. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I thought that the, uh, maybe kind of the fire from losing and stuff would, would do it. And then you come out and you see Carolina just with way more hype and energy once the actual whistle blew. <laughs> yeah. On the sidelines, we could fight great. And after Cam Newton scores a touchdown, we can rip the ball away from him and chuck it away. But yeah. between the whistles, we were pretty helpless most of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's, I, I haven't played, uh, you've played much more sports than I have, but especially at the NFL level, the skill that you need is so great that I think a lot of that emotion goes away as soon as the first guy fools you with a play action or some guy runs past your face for a 20-yard gain. You can't carry that stuff with you too long. I think it can get you hyped up and make a couple of effort plays, but for the most part, as a quarterback or as a defensive back or something like that, I don't think that can take you very far. You need the skill to get it done. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I I mean... Yes and no. Obviously, the, the better team's going to win the majority of the time, but you'll always see those times where, you know, you just don't feel like a team showed up, and that's kind of what we felt we saw. I mean, sometimes it's tangible. You can see it on the field, and I'm not saying that's what happened yesterday. It definitely felt like that against Denver. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Carolina land up, lined up against us and smashed us in the mouth and looked like the better team and the more talented team, as much as people have been talking about all year, us included, that they don't have any weapons, 
and that they're not that good on offense, but they put up 37 on you. Well, and to transition to the defense now, so, ugh, I mean, we've been talking about the defense since the existence of this podcast, but so Cam Newton had his second best yardage of the season with 297. It's the 10th best of his career. By the way, can you guess what his highest yardage total is of his career? What, probably like 315? No, it's uh, 432 against Dom's Packers in 2011. Wow. So it's getting to the point where I know Dom runs a bend but don't break, but Cam Newton just had his second best yardage of the season, 10th best ever. Peyton Manning last week had his highest yardage total since last November. Phillip Rivers, by 50 yards, had his highest yardage total ever. Todd Gurley had his highest total of the season with 159 rushing yards and the sixth highest single game of any running back in the league this year. And Matt Forte earlier this year had his highest yardage total in four years. They're breaking it. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's not being a good defense and then they're letting everybody have their career game against you every week. And I don't know if it's personnel because again, so we know Dom's bad, and he's, he his whole game plan is to not give up big plays, and then they do so anyways. But the the plays that stuck out to me is, from a scheme standpoint, he's still playing man-to-man when he doesn't have Sam Shields, and he doesn't have Quentin Rollins, and he's got safeties that can't cover. And then he's still playing super conservative. He was giving guys 10-yard cushions when they're in the red zone. It's like nobody explained to him that catching the ball and running it into the end zone counts for the same number of points as catching the ball in the back of the end zone. (laughs) And then, to to boot, none of his players can carry out this ridiculous game plan to begin with. It They don't have any transcendent guys who can come up with plays in such a terrible scheme. They're all the worst right now. Yeah, and I think just kind of feeling the room, I mean, we've talked about for the last three, four years that although this defense is bad, you know, they're... Capers will be back. We just we know Capers will be back. I'm starting to kind of get the vibe that I almost kind of wondered today when we turned on the news if we weren't going to see something. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it carries out this way the rest of the year, I think it's finally time that they do something. And I feel like they actually will for once. Yeah, um, It's just been too long and to see games like this in a row, like you said, three in a row where you just get blasted. And it's it's those weren't the only three this year either. So Yeah, four if you count Gurley having 159 yards. Well, and you look at the game yesterday, if Cam Newton was more accurate, he puts up 500 yards against you and throws for five touchdowns. I mean, he had wide-open guys on multiple occasions. And I think that although this defense isn't super talented, they're not a top-five defense, I think they're talented enough to be a top-ten defense, Mm -hmm. at least a top-15, not bottom two or three in the league, (laughs) whatever it is. I know that they're... I think going into the game, I heard that their scoring defense was actually very highly ranked. It's probably not as highly ranked anymore, but yeah, they're twelfth in points allowed, twenty third in yards. Yeah. So, and I don't think that's accurate to what we see on the field here. <laughs> yeah. Either. So they're I, still I, riding I, the wave of that San Francisco game, and pretty much most of that. Yeah, I mean, just watch that first drive. How do you come out and play like that? I mean, there's guys wide open, and you can put it on the players, but at some point, there's either they don't understand the scheme or the scheme is wrong because there's people in wide open territory, and that's not what's supposed to happen. Yeah, and I want to argue that they are not understanding the scheme. I made a tweet during the game that, yeah, Dom sure sucks because he keeps calling that one play where six rushers get blocked and then nobody can cover their guy. Yeah. But on the flip side, how much turnover have we had on this roster and the defense still sucks? 
So who's bad? Is Dom's scheme bad? Are our position coaches terrible? Does Ted Thompson not know how to get players that fit with Dom's scheme? I mean, it could be that Dom is out of touch, but they don't win the Super Bowl in 2010 without Dom's defense. I mean, their defense was spectacular that year, and the reason he's had a job so long is he's had some of the best defenses of all time in this scheme. Granted, that's years and years ago. I mean, a lot of those best defenses were in the 90s. There's there's not a lot of teams tearing other teams up with the Houston Oilers run and shoot right now, but... I, I, I'm out of answers, but we've been asking these questions for so long and people that are much smarter than us have been addressing these questions and it still doesn't seem that they've figured it out. So maybe you just have to change that figurehead, it, it, even if it potentially is unfair because this is ridiculous. I mean, how many, I, I don't have it in front of me, but you got to think there's been 30 or 35, maybe 40 different starters who have played with this Dom defense and it stinks every time. Well, it's the, it's the exact same defense as 2009. It feels like, yeah. although almost all of the players have turned over, it's the same. I mean, you're getting gashed and gashed in record days against your defense. And blame it on the offense, you know, scoring quickly back then all you want, but it's still doing the same thing when your offense isn't scoring at all right now. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, you're right. It's either the scheme or we're putting terrible players into the scheme. And so either way, somebody's got to change something because we can't. <laughs> win another championship with a defense playing like that no and one point i wanted to bring up is right now they are 27th um in the nfl against the run and 25th in yards per attempt against the run while everybody who's watching this team almost universally thinks that bj raji and mike daniels and clay matthews at in the middle are having spectacular seasons and they had flashes yesterday so i still don't think that's wrong but how can you have the 27th rank rush defense when you have your two guys on the line, your big bulls and your middle linebacker playing phenomenal? Like that doesn't compute. Yeah, I don't know. And I maybe now that you've got your um, your all 22 cam, you can maybe watch it a little more in depth. But I, I heard somebody say going into the game, like uh, they were talking about how Clay Matthews. It's been very unselfish for him to go to the middle linebacker, but it's just not working. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I, you know, I, I kind of thought how he's been playing so well. And it kind of le- leads me to think that maybe if you watch something like that, you might see him flashing and making these big plays, but maybe giving up more. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, the outside linebackers are not have not been good in run support. I mean, they're going to key on Clay every single play. Mm-hmm. And if you block that one guy, it's it's pretty tough for a defensive tackles to make a tackle in a 3-4 defense on the run. Yeah. If your other linebackers aren't filling in, your safeties aren't filling and making plays, it's I think that's probably more your issue. Yeah, they're disruptors, and then other people got to come in and clean up, and you have HaHa Clinton Dix who can't seem to read any plays. He takes horrible angles, and then once he gets there, he gets bowled over or he gets run over. Uh, They've had Morgan Burnett on and off with injury this year, but um, I watched the All-22 on the NFL Game Pass, and my free trial ends today, and then tomorrow is the first time you can actually watch uh, the other games, but I'm so charged up about this. I might have to drop the uh, hundred bucks just to have it for the rest of the year. And mm-hmm. plus you get to watch all the other games. So maybe it'll have some benefit to it. But um, last week when I watched Clay Matthews play middle linebacker, I thought he did a really good job. And it's clear that Nate Palmer and Joe Thomas and those guys aren't any good at all. And I think the CJ Anderson 20 yard touchdown run was on the one play Clay came out of the game. So I think when people are saying Clay shouldn't be in the middle, they're imagining some, proto clay that's just going to step in there and 
hold steady while Clay comes on the outside and gets a bunch of uh, sacks, and it's not going to happen. If he moves to the outside, he'll never make a play because it'll be 10 yards past him by the time he gets there. So I don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah, it's not optimal to have Clay Matthews in at the middle linebacker when he's such a dynamic outside pass rusher, but if you want Clay Matthews to be involved, he's got to be in the middle right now because nobody else is going to be able to stop the bleeding. Um, but yeah, Clinton Dix is terrible. Uh, Haha is a joke was probably said repeatedly on Twitter, um, you know, just the terrible pun, but it's not even funny anymore. He, he's He's awful right now. Yeah, it's it's weird because I mean he showed like that he could be good at times last year, but then I had these flashes of just terrible mistakes and bad plays, and that's been all of him this year. It's just that half of things. And you would think with another year in the defense and playing in the NFL, you'd be better. But he's just more than really any DB you would normally see, just making these noticeably bad plays. Mm-hmm. And he's just somehow so he sticks out so much with his mistakes. They're such big mistakes, and it's it's really really unique. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure Morgan Burnett misses some plays during the game, but you sure don't notice it like Clinton Dix. He just every time there's a big play, you look in 21s either on the ground or trailing behind after making a mistake. It seems. Yeah, and it doesn't even seem like he's making a decisive pursuit towards the ball and missing or or something. Like a lot of times when I notice Morgan Burnett missing a play or you know the 42 who we don't like to talk about anymore, but like Darren Sharper. Like, he was terrible his last couple of years with the Packers, but at least it was a terrible that made sense. Like, he'd go flying past the guy, but at least he'd get near him and he'd take a direct line to him and he'd just miss the tackle because he sucked by then. Mm-hmm. You know, Clinton Dix is just running all over the place, zigzagging. I mean, he looks like a guy on Tecmo being controlled by the computer. <laughs> yeah, the, I know you kind of referenced it earlier, but there was that one play, I think it was on, the, I think it was Carolina's last touchdown drive where they had you could tell, like, everybody took on their blockers like they were supposed to. It was perfectly set up for Clint Dix to fill the hole. And all of a sudden, he's just, like, kind of strafing and kind of go, just going behind the flow of the defense. And the, the defender just shoots right through. And then he does finally get caught up to him and just gets run over. <laughs> yeah. it, it's like he, he didn't read the hole. He didn't make the play. And then he just got bulldozed. It, it was like a triple whammy of just terrible play. It was... It was all of his weaknesses in 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, just combined into one play. And it was just like I, I just held my hand, my head in my hand after this, watching that play. <laughs> and like, all right, this guy's officially a bust now after that play. Well, and then he and Julius Peppers get into it on the sidelines. And um, Raji shoves him. And there was a big brouhaha. And that's been talked about a lot. And Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm at home cheering on Raji. Like, yeah, get him. Like, yeah. Well, it's not like Julius Peppers has a leg to stand on right now. I forgot he played on the team since the bye week. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but I guess he's 35. You had to believe this could potentially happen sooner or later. The only time I noticed him on the field was when he wouldn't let Cam Newton have his touchdown ball. But Yeah, it, it, that was kind of stupid. I heard about that a bunch today, too. But. Did you hear about Cam Newton ripping down that sign for the, the Packer, North Carolina Packer fan? And then he, he did, yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of dumb. Apparently, Carolina has a policy that you cannot have a banner that supports the visiting team. You can have a sign, but not a banner, Huh? which seems ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty stupid. Like, I don't know how you could have that. Ugh. I don't really care to talk about that. All that kind of stuff is really stupid. But the thing you mentioned about Cam Newton that I did want to touch upon is how many intermediate routes that he just completely missed. And had they been playing Phillip Rivers or even Peyton Manning, they would have thrown for 500 yards yesterday. And Cam Newton is so weird because 
you really think he's going to be prevented from ever being that top echelon quarterback because he misses so many of those throws. And this is his fifth season, so it's not like you're just going to find your accuracy you know, in the midpoint of your career or that the one-third mark of your career. But I think the thing that gives me thought that he still is going to potentially be elite going forward is that he can throw the deep ball. And I think that is the divider between the great quarterbacks and the not-so-great quarterbacks. If you think about a guy like Trent Dilfer, he could kill you with seven-yard slants and outs and screens and stuff like that, but his deep ball nobody was afraid of because it would go 30 yards over everybody's head or it would be a, a lame duck that you know you could easily stop and defend. And Cam Newton's deep ball is great. <laughs> I was trying to think of a comparison, and the only one I could think of is like, Jeff Hostetler. He's probably better than Hostetler, but the Haas was really kind of weird and couldn't throw a lot of short stuff, but he had one of the prettiest deep balls in in football. I mean, yeah, maybe kind of comparable to a Joe Flacco kind of a guy. Where yeah, yeah, that's a good just, one too. Just sort of inaccurate. And he won a Super Bowl largely because of that. I mean, you hit a deep ball over the top of a, a Denver safety in the divisional round to put you into the AFC Championship game. If that was another quarterback, you don't make that play and you don't go there. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's crucial. You, you look at... Uh, the quarterbacks that win Super Bowls and even the average ones, um, you know, they can do that. You, you said Trent Dilfer, he might be the only example of one that couldn't do that. But recently, well, the best ball, deep ball he ever threw was in the Super Bowl to Brandon yep. Stokely. <laughs> yep, yep. So I, I mean, that's kind of crucial if you're going to be an average quarterback, but you know, you can do something well. That's a pretty darn good thing to do well. Yeah, because it really gives you more opportunities underneath because teams have to respect guys when they go deep. You know, when you have Joey Harrington and David Carr and those kind of guys and you go deep, you're like, well, they can't hit them, so let's just crash all the underneath routes and we'll either sack them or they'll just throw it away. And so, and besides the fact that he's, that, the, the fact that he didn't lose possession of the ball when he's jumping with one hand with a guy on his back, hit in the like face. Two fingers on it? Yeah, I could not, that was one of the most ridiculously athletic plays I've ever seen. I don't know how the heck he did that. A, he didn't get injured and he didn't fumble the ball. I don't know how he did that. Nobody else in the league could have done that but him, I don't think. All right, so here is my theory after watching yesterday's game. With Cam Newton as inaccurate as he is underneath, I know he can throw the deep ball and he can run and stuff like that, and the Packers not being that great, and Atlanta losing again. I looked up some numbers, and here is the numbers that should uh, keep you awake at night if you're a fan in the NFC. Since week three, since Cam Chancellor returned, Seattle's defense, number one in points allowed by 11 better than New England, who's number two. Fewest yards allowed, better than Denver by 140 yards. Their defense, since Cam Chancellor returned, has been as good as any of the previous Seattle defenses. They got a lot of winnable games left, and... I think they could run through the NFC in the playoffs, even from the wild card round, winning every single week, 17 to 13, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. At this point, whatever the odds are of Seattle winning the Super Bowl in Vegas, I would take them. Yeah, I would too. Uh, but to, just to play devil's advocate here, um, their defense, while statistically with the numbers you mentioned have, have been re- really good, they also had two collapses in that time frame as well since That's Chancellor's true. been back. Yeah. And also their offense has just not looked the same and still – I would rather play anybody but them in the playoffs just because they can turn it around. Mm -hmm. But I I think that there's definitely still some flaws that they haven't had the last couple of years. That is fair, and and I think... You know, they've they've beat up on some bad teams. But the two collapses were against Carolina and at Cincinnati. 
and they lost to Cincinnati in overtime and Carolina on the last second. And I, I know that's a collapse, but I don't know. I, I don't, I, I would be surprised. Like Carolina just, I wasn't that impressed with them yesterday to let the Packers back in the game with how awful the Packers played. I, I don't know. I, anything could happen in the NFC and I suppose that's good if you're in the situation the Packers are in right now, but Seattle is still a very scary challenger out on the horizon for me. Yeah, so for the first time in like four or five years, is the AFC better than the NFC again? Yeah, I would say. It seems that way. I feel like just two weeks ago, I might have made the point of the opposite. It's like, you know, I think that's like last season me talking. <laughs> when it was clear that there was like a half of a good team in the AFC and like five dominant teams in the NFC. Mm-hmm. And now it's the complete opposite. I'd probably take Denver, Cincy, New England over almost anybody in the NFC. Yeah, they're definitely better at the top, but maybe not throughout like New England and Cincinnati and Denver are better than anybody in the NFC, but you know once you start thinking about that next tier of teams, like the Saints are certainly better than Baltimore or the Jets or Buffalo or Oakland, you know. And I would say the same thing for St. Louis and Atlanta and the Vikings and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd go that far. Okay, well the Vikings. But I, but stati- I might take yeah. the. I might take the Bears and the Buccaneers and the Lions over the Titans and the Texans. <laughs> All those teams. I'll take the low, very low-end teams in the NFC over the AFC ones. Yeah, but if we're going down to the extreme bottom of the barrel, I'll take San Diego over, like, San Francisco and Detroit. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, so oh, I, they ought to just have a big tournament. Do they have one of those at the end of the season? I don't know. They should, yeah. Yeah, they really they really ought to. 32-team free-for-all, round-robin. Yeah, they, they really should do that. So, technically, on tiebreakers, the Vikings are now in first place uh, because they've played more division games. And I think the NFL does this on purpose for the Packers. Maybe it's me being a conspiracy theorist, but it's more of me being a marketer that the Packers have dominated this division so long that they do everything they possibly can to withhold division games so that the Packers can't clinch too early. And... I don't know if they do that with New England, too. It seems like they're always getting their division games a little bit earlier than the Packers are. But, uh, yeah, it's ugh. So now we're going to have to be in another dogfight for the division, even though they have a, they're have probably going to have a good team. I, I wish once New England would have to face a challenge like the Packers do to win their division. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to your first point, I think you're probably right there. Because if, if Minnesota plays a record similar to what we've played so far, I don't think they only have two losses. But now you've all of a sudden got this maybe aesthetic division race where it looks like the teams are in a dead heap. And, oh, actually, Minnesota's got the lead. But <laughs> uh, I can say with certainty that Green Bay is still a whole lot better than the Vikings. Yeah. And I'm not scared about that at all. The Vikings beat Detroit twice, the Bears, the Chargers, the Chiefs. They beat the Rams in overtime. They got whooped by San Francisco, and they lost to Denver. So... If we're going tiebreakers, the division record, obviously, uh, they are way ahead right now, but I don't think the Packers will have too much challenge with the Bears or Lions. And then if they split the other ones, the fact that the Packers beat San Francisco and the Vikings lost to them and the Vikings don't play Carolina, so they can't make up for that win. So um, those are potentially good things when you're looking at tiebreakers down the road. All right, so... um, I don't know. What what are your expectations for the rest of this season record-wise for the Packers? I, I still wouldn't be surprised if they went along a 12-4, and 11-5 and five type season, kind of what we had initially predicted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think, although you wouldn't have, going into the season, not been surprised they lost these two games. I think you might have been surprised how they went. Mm-hmm. But I still think this team's a lot better than pretty much everybody else they're going to face. I mean, you get through your, your three toughest contests already in Seattle, Carolina, and Denver. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm still feeling good. I'd be surprised if they lost three more games, I guess I'd say. I, I think 12-4 and four still is reasonable. Yeah, I guess... You would think right now they're playing really badly in a lot of areas that are good. Like, you would think at some point the O line's got to regress, or I mean, progress back to the mean and start playing. Because right now they're playing like the worst they've ever played. And maybe you could argue that last year they played the best they've ever played. But if they could get back to like a 2013 level, you know, maybe the running game gets going and Rodgers starts having more time. I still don't know what they're going to do to fix the passing game. But if, if anything good came out of yesterday. I am not going to take a lot of stock in them running the no huddle against the prevent defense to get back in the game, but it appeared they at least were finding more creative ways to get Randall Cobb into favorable matchups even before they went into desperation mode. They had the long touchdown. They had another almost long touchdown, and so at least they're trying to get more creative with their second-best offensive player. Yeah, and and also maybe find a way to make who should be our second-best player, Lacey, get back on track and not be... Maybe a treadmill. Yeah, something. It that that's about as weird of a thing with this team as I can think. Is that he's playing the way he's playing. He he never has looked that fast, but he looks like he's running in quicksand compared to James Starks. Mm-hmm. And Starks is playing really well, and I wouldn't be surprised if he starts or gets more of the carries against the Lions. But it goes back to what I've said about Starks for the last couple of years: is that he has not had the best track record in in terms of health so do you really want to put the workhorse label on him and hope that he can stay healthy the rest of the year because that hasn't worked out in the past can you even imagine saying at the end of last year before this year that Lacey is in danger of losing his starting job to starks without <laughs> no. injury i mean just based no. on play it's it's shocking what we've seen and i'm sure he's got some sort of injury but regardless i I, I can't believe what we're seeing. and This should be the thing that's carrying our offense right now, and it's struggling, and it's non-existent. And if he is that injured to where his drop-off is that great, he shouldn't be on the field. Yeah, why suit him up at all? I'd much rather have somebody else taking carries that's healthy because he's not helping you at all right now. No, and so that makes me wonder if it is an injury, and they're just trying to cover for him and that... You know, I I hate when people talk about, you know, oh, he's, he's gained a lot of weight and all that kind of stuff because that's probably a little bit ridiculous. But there's something going on there that if he was so injured that he can't even hit the holes, then he's got no business playing. And granted, they don't have anybody else, but, you know, why, why put him on the field, I guess, as often as they do? So, yeah, very, very interesting. So, I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot left to say about this game other than I, I feel like the Denver game, I, w- I was in wait-and-see mode, and now yesterday I've seen in that um, they're still at the top tier of teams, but I think they're looking up at some folks rather than looking down at some folks like I felt a couple weeks ago. Right. Was there anything else that stood out to you other than the Colts destroying Denver, that greatest defense of all time that took the MVP and only allowed him to throw 77 yards like a single-wing high school team (laughs) gets destroyed by the Colts who haven't been able to play with anybody this year? No, yeah, that that was kind of funny to see. And also San Francisco somehow beats Atlanta with Blaine Gabbert. Yeah. 
that was kind of fun. Uh, New Orleans, who you just talked about, was better than a bunch of teams in the AFC lost to the Tennessee Titans. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other than that, kind of an uneventful week. I mean, there were some overtime games. I mean, Pittsburgh beats Oakland, but I don't know, not not too much great action, I guess. Do we know what's wrong with Roethlisberger yet? Um, oh, I did see that this morning. I saw he's out one to two weeks. I can't, I can't remember. I think it was a foot injury. I could be totally wrong. No, here, I think but... you're right. It's a foot, uh, mid foot sprain. So he must so just be made be... of rubber. Like, how does he not break everything? Yeah, all these injuries look terrible. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's gotta be real fun to be a Steelers fan this year. Yikes. Yeah, how frustrating. If they were, if they were completely healthy, I mean, I, I would take them right up along New England, but now they're probably not even gonna make the playoffs because they're so banged up. Yeah, everybody was worried about their defense, and their defense has been pretty good this Playing year. Playing well, yeah, good enough. Yeah. My favorite thing coming out of yesterday is it would have been poetic and great for Peyton Manning to break the all-time passing yardage record in Indianapolis, but he didn't, and so Brett Favre is the yardage leader for one more week. <laughs> yep. So, not that it really means anything, but um, so I guess he'll have that for a little while longer. Uh, let's make our picks for this upcoming week. Um, let me get, I gotta get the schedule up here. Um, so Bills at Jets is our Thursday night football game. Yippee. Uh, that one should be decent. I don't know. It could go for a good Thursday night defensive struggle. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, who's better? Well, if Fitzpatrick's gonna keep playing, it sounds like, through that injury, right? So. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'll take the Jets at home. I, I think they're pretty comparable, but, uh, they just got something rolling right now. They got some good weapons. I think I like them a little better. It's in uh, uh, Buffalo, isn't it? Or no? Uh, no, I think it's in New York here from what I'm looking at. Yeah, it is. So for that reason, I'll take the Jets, even though Rex Ryan's homecoming. So that they might be fired oh, yeah. up for that. Yeah, maybe. That's probably why it's on national TV in the first place. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, and then uh, the Bills have I.K. and Kampali, or however you say that guy's name, too. Oh, the, the guy who punched Geno Smith? Yep, and Gino's yeah, Gino's not going to be starting, but I'm sure they'll talk about it all week. Okay, I thought that guy got cut. Did, did, maybe he didn't. I think he's still on the team. You might be right, though. You might be right. Okay. I'm not sure. Well, either way, I bet you he won't play a huge part in the game. Yeah. Him and Gino both. The Jaguars at the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Double double two and six teams here. Um, man, for Jacksonville, they actually look pretty good on offense. They, they've got a couple of good receivers, and Bortles is playing well, but they still don't seem to win any games. Kind of same as Baltimore. I, I think Ravens being at home. I think if you're going to make one of these teams have three wins and the other stay at two, I think Baltimore is a little better. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I think that uh, I don't know. Jacksonville's got to win eventually before I'm going to pick them. The Browns at the Steelers. So if Ben's out, is that Michael Vick again? No, I think it's well. Landry came in when he got hurt last week. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. So. Landry Jones. Darn Vick against Manziel would have been awesome. That would have been great. <laughs> Um, I'll pick the, ooh, I guess I'll take Pittsburgh. I'm tempted well, I'll to take the Browns here. Okay. I, it's kind of a toss-up here. It, it kind of depends on who plays that quarterback, but really, it, it would be fun if Vic played. If Vic first Manziel, then you pretty much have identical teams, yeah. and maybe the Browns have a little bit better defense, and I, I don't know. Yeah, with no Le'Veon, with no Roethlisberger, I think I've got to take the Browns here. Yeah, agreed. The Panthers at the Titans. Um... I was walking, we have a spot at the college I work at where they have like a, a TV on for the students to kind of chill out and watch, and they had a stat on ESPN where they had Mariota's games broken down, and basically they're trying to make the point that when the Titans win, Mariota plays great, and for some reason when they lose, 
he plays bad. I'm like, oh wow, that's that's a revolutionary stat. Yeah. yeah, wow, that tells the tale. Um, ugh, I'm yeah, Tennessee's just so bad. I'll take the Panthers. Yeah, it seems like uh, if Mariota could keep that up, I I might be tempted here, coming off of a big game against Green Bay, but Carolina I think wins this one. Yeah, the Bears at the Rams. Um, I'll pick first here. Uh, we haven't seen the Bears play tonight, but on the road, uh, Rams are a tough team, and especially if you don't have a yeah, very good offense. Picks. Yeah, so I'll pick the Rams. Yeah, I, I guess I will too. Uh, yeah, I, I, if they were on the road, I might pick Chicago here, but I'll take the Rams too. Yeah, the Buccaneers at, or I'm sorry, the Cowboys at the Buccaneers. I didn't stay Oof. up to watch the Cowboy Eagle game because it sucked to begin with, and. All of these Sunday night games and the World Series, they keep going super late, and I feel like the, you know, 28 year old man going on 65. But once it gets past like 10, and I see that there's like an hour left, I'm just like, I don't care. I'll I'll just yeah. watch the highlights. Yeah, and I tried, and I I started falling asleep at the end like an even older man. So <laughs> I, I could keep my eyes open. Yeah, um, I'll I'll take Tampa. I think they're a little bit better and. I've said it repeatedly, but as much of an idiot as he is, I really like to watch Jameis Winston. Yeah, this is a really good one. This might actually be a decent game to watch because the Cowboys have been hanging in there without Romo. They've still got Des Bryant. They've still got a pretty good run game. McFadden's playing well. But it's just, yeah, I, I see Winston with, with Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson probably just gashing this defense a little bit here and hitting some big plays. Mm-hmm. But, man, that's tough. Yeah, I, I'll take Tampa. I, I agree. All right, the Dolphins at the Eagles. So the Dolphins rode that wave of uh, Dan Campbell emotion for a couple of weeks and then have stunk again quite since then. So apparently a lot of raw emotion, as we were saying before, doesn't help if you have really bad players. So That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and the Eagles are a weird team. Um, yikes. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take a flyer on Miami in this one. I feel like they, the kind of style they play would really disrupt Chip Kelly's iffy offense. Yeah, darn it. I thought I had a I had an upset special <laughs> here, but I agree with you. I think that although Philly won last night, they beat a team with Matt Castle and not even playing well Matt Castle, <laughs> yeah. just barely in overtime, and they didn't look good doing it. So I think I think you're right. I think Miami's defense is good enough to slow them down and score some points. Mm-hmm. The Saints at the Redskins. Uh, yikes. Could uh, be another fun one at noon, yeah. maybe high scoring. Everybody has fun against the Saints because they can't stop anybody. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess if I pick first here, I'll take the Saints in a bounce-back game here. It should be a good one, but I think that they're probably a little bit better than Washington. Yeah, I'll agree with you. And I know the Saints have won a Super Bowl, so it has to alleviate a lot of that stress, but how frustrating must it be to be Drew Brees? <laughs> like, his whole career, it feels like he's, especially since he's been in New Orleans, he's just been scoring a billion points, and it never seems to be enough. Yeah, and last year, he, he dropped off. And now he seems back to carrying the team, and now, yeah, the defense is worse than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like they played a little bit better the last couple of years. I think they were pretty bad last year, too, actually. But now this year he's back to form, it seems, mm-hmm. and playing really well. And now the defense is just atrocious. Yeah, last year he 33 TDs, almost 5,000 passing yards. So your typical Drew Brees one, he did at 17 picks. But, yeah, the big well, one... He was, he was coming from... 20 down every single game because he played terrible in the first half. But Yeah, the big one for them is that uh, two years ago when Seattle had that monster season, they had the fourth best defense in both points and yards, and uh, they just happened to be that in a year that Seattle had a historically good defense. So, uh, But, yeah, it's got to be frustrating. Um, 
I lost my uh, my webpage here. I got too much going on. Okay, so the Vikings at the Raiders, and Teddy Bridgewater got KO'd, so I assume that he's not going to play, but that was scary what happened to him. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, actually. i got to check that out. But I, what did you think? I've, I've heard debate all day if it was dirty or not, but I haven't seen the play yet. It was almost identical to the Trent Green one when he was with the Chiefs. Uh, so he, he slid and got knocked out. So I don't think it, it – it was a late hit for sure, but I don't think he was trying to take him out or anything. Guys do that all the time where they're hitting guys who are sliding, and usually they don't get knocked out. Sure. So, yes, it should have been a flag, but I don't think it was like a hitless thing. Well, I guess I'd probably take the Raiders at home either way, and I know I've picked against the Vikings every game this year, I feel like, and they're 6-2, and two, so that's crushing me right now. <laughs> that's why I have my huge lead on you is because I keep saying, well, Minnesota's better, so I'll just take them. I still, I, I know they're not, and Derek Carr's <laughs> playing awesome, that offense is playing great, and I, I see them winning this game. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you too, especially with a backup quarterback and whatnot so i'll i'll take oakland and maybe a little bit of wishful thinking to get a little breathing room between us and the vikings before the big showdown in a couple weeks the chiefs at the broncos so peyton once again looked really bad yesterday um but the chiefs are worse so i'll take denver yeah same here the patriots at the giants which could be interesting if eli beats tom brady again i'm gonna (laughs) laugh so hard brady's just gotta hang him up if he loses this one (laughs) yeah he should be banned for all time um, yeah, I think the Patriots will win. Uh, I could see it happening. Man, I, I want to pick it so badly, but I just I can't pick against New England until they lose. They look so much better than everybody right now, so i, I got to stick with it, Patriots. Yeah, I think it's more you know storybook for them to lose to the Giants than it is reality. <laughs> so, I yeah, I think the Patriots will win. Sunday Night Football, the Cardinals at Seahawks. So... This is scary. Seattle coming off of a bye. They're hosting the first place team. That place is going to be rocking. I honestly think this has a chance to get out of hand. I- I'm going to pick Seattle to win this one. Yeah, um, that's a good pick. This could be their reemergence, uh, especially if if the Packers struggle and if somehow Tennessee beats Carolina. I could see them just destroying the Cardinals and then scaring the bejesus out of the rest of the NFL. Man, I, this is a hard one. I I I, I think you're right. But we've seen kind of on and off from Seattle, and I think this Cardinals offense is pretty good. I could see them maybe beating this defense a little bit, but, man, this is tough. I wish I had, like, ten minutes to think about this game here, but that would be terrible <laughs> podcast air time. So. We'll just sit here in silence, and you can uh, be like, oh, listen yeah. to me go, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty yeah, much Tom I, Jackson I, on Countdown, according to you. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I'll pick Seattle at home, too. I, I think they bounce back. Hopefully, though, hopefully Arizona wins this one and creates a three-game gap. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. And on Monday Night Football, oh, my favorite matchup in NFL oh. history, Texans-Bengals. Uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, agreed. The Texans are terrible. All right, and then in Green Bay, the Packers, after running the gauntlet the last couple of weeks, get a bit of reprieve as they get to host our old friend, Detroit Lions, and they fired pretty much everybody, haven't they? Yeah, they're all gone. So I would imagine Jim Caldwell will not be far behind. For a quick trivia question, can you name their offensive coordinator? Oh, is that the Cooter guy? Yeah, I can't remember the whole thing, but it's like Billy Bob Cooter. Oh, I think it's it's Jim Bob Cooter. Jim Bob Cooter, yeah. Oh, my God, that's the most unfortunate hillbilly name in in history. (laughs) 
one thing I always want to bring up, and I'm sure we'll make fun of it uh, on KZ Radio this week. So this, the last time the Packers lost to Detroit in Wisconsin, it was in 1991, which is right in the middle of the song era of KZ Radio. So we like to have a lot of fun with that. But uh, one of the things I publish on the website every year when the schedule comes out is just some stupid facts about each game. And the one I always like to put on here about Detroit is that since Detroit last won in Wisconsin, four expansion teams formed, four other teams moved, 22 teams changed their uniforms, some multiple times. There are 25 new stadiums. And then, of course, we point out that Jason Hansen played 21 years with the Lions without ever winning in Wisconsin, which is always fun. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, I, I mean... You can't. I can't see any way that the Packers lose this one. Yeah. It just seems like you know you're facing a Detroit defense which is just as bad as, if not worse, as yours. Stafford's looked bad. Their offensive line's bad. They don't have a running game. Calvin Johnson's not the same guy. It's just I don't see how it could happen. And although the Packers have not looked good, I think this is the perfect time to bounce back with a win. I don't see them losing. Yeah, I have no fear that the Packers are going to lose this game. I am fearful that they're going to win it twenty to ten. Or something ridiculous like that and just look horrible and beat the Lions simply because the Lions aren't any good. I would love to see them come run Detroit off the field and beat them 38 to 14 or 45 to 20 or something like that just to take advantage of this bad team, use it as an opportunity to test out what worked against Carolina, maybe run some more no huddle, try to figure it out. Because if they come out and they win a sluggish game against Detroit, I'm I'm never going to jump ship completely because as much as I criticize and I'm a downer on this show, part of that is a defense mechanism because how badly I want to believe that each year is going to be a Super Bowl championship season. But if if they beat Detroit unimpressively, I'm going to be quite depressed about the rest of this season. Yeah, and this is that classic Rodgers game where he bounces back for 500 yards and four touchdowns, too. And and everybody's like, oh, he's back. I guess there's nothing wrong with this team. And in this yeah. case, I might actually be okay with that just to see it happen. Like, I, I need to see that. Yeah, just to feel that for a week, you can tell yourself that maybe it is okay. <laughs> Normally we get frustrated by that after, yeah. you know, coming off a loss against the 49ers or something, and then he, he crushes Chicago. But I, I think we might all need that. Yeah, definitely. I still get frustrated by that. I was so irritated by the, they're 6-2. I'm like, yeah, they're 6-2 and two and they haven't won in four weeks. So, or three weeks or whatever. But yeah, I know it's it's good to be optimistic and you don't need to jump ship and they're supporting your team. But, you know, the with the relaxed stuff and the, they're 6-2, and two, I'm just like, well, didn't you watch the game? How can yeah. you think everything's fine? Uh, but whatever, that's that's fine. Everybody's got to watch in their own way, and as long as you're enjoying it, it, I actually was less angry watching yesterday's game than I was in Denver. Because in Denver, I felt like it, it's it's annoying to see somebody squander their potential. But after the first half and first three quarters of yesterday's game, it didn't feel like they were squandering potential. It felt like they just weren't that good. And you can't be mad at somebody who's not good. I, I when the Brewers lose three of four to the Cubs, I don't get mad because they have no business beating the Cubs. Right. So you just kind of take it and you're like, oh, you know, I guess uh, Zach Davies played okay. So that's pretty much all you can do. All right. While we're, we were sort of talking positively, before we wrap up today, what are some potential spots on the Packers? You know, they, they've been so bad the last two weeks as a whole, but maybe what are a couple of glimmer of hope things that uh, you're, you're looking at going forward? Oh man, 
I know, I kind I, of I mean, skipped Asanya there. So. Yeah, based on the last couple of weeks, I guess I, I haven't seen too many signs of positive things, but I think you kind of briefly mentioned it before. I think the biggest area for turnaround here is probably probably the offensive line in the run game, mm-hmm. where it's something that's just been not there, and it's just been bad. So uh, it, even if Rodgers doesn't play as well, even if Jordy's out, even if the defense isn't playing that good, that's something that should be there. So that's that's a big positive you could turn around here. you still got a lot of season to play, a lot of time to turn that around and change that. So I guess if there's one thing that might give me confidence is if they can get a couple, maybe a couple hundred-yard run games out of either Starks or Lacey. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say Starks is my glimmer of hope that maybe if they decide to completely feature him that they can have a spark on offense and change things up a bit. I liked, as I mentioned earlier, what they were doing with Cobb, trying some new things that we hadn't seen throughout the rest of the season, or at least I hadn't seen them. It's very well possible that they were trying to do those, but they seemed to work better yesterday than they had earlier in the season. And defensively, uh, Jake Ryan actually led the defense in tackles yesterday, and he had the stop on the Cam Newton play that was a first down, and then they ended up overturning it. And then he had another really good play on the goal line where he took a great pursuit angle and actually stopped the guy. And so maybe there's a chance that he could come uh, provide some stability in the middle of that defense. Yeah, at least better than what you've had. That's not saying much. I mean, if he can give you a little bit of an upgrade, why not? We don't see a lot of Packers players stand in front of somebody and square up and actually stop them in their tracks. And we saw that a couple times from him yesterday, which is encouraging. I'm used to Brad Joneses of the world to get carried for four yards. Yeah. All right, so the Packers are in a rough patch. They're just 6-2. and two. R-E-L-E-X, guys. Well, I said relax there, so. <laughs> <laughs> Spelling is not my forte, so. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um I think it would be foolish to say the season is over, but it would be equally foolish to say everything is fine. So all we can do is be glad that Detroit's coming to town, and hopefully we kick their butt and get ready for a big showdown with the Minnesota Vikings the following week. So if you want to add your thoughts on this podcast, you can do so in the comments section beneath this on our greengoldforever.podbean.com page. Our complete archives are there as well. You can also interact with us on the Facebook page. We always got stuff going on there, Green and Gold Forever podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Green Gold Forever. And, of course, tune in to KZ Radio on Friday afternoon to hear the Green and Gold Forever preview segments. And uh, there was some real awesome tunes on KZ Radio last week. So if you like any of the songs that we ever use to uh, at the beginning of the podcast, uh, you'll probably like KZ Radio because I, I choose a lot of those songs because I happen to like that era, and uh, those songs always show up when I'm searching for themes that uh, I want to express what we're talking about. So, all right, um, we've been knocked down, so let's uh, hope the pack can dust themselves off and continue forward here. So for Matt out in Altoona, I am Eric and Appleton. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a great week. Take care, everyone.